Coming up, a familiar yet faceless foe returns to throw the sports world upside down as COVID wreaks havoc in all the leagues, depleted rosters, rescheduled games as the show goes on with the good, bad, and ugly, as I'll have the winners and losers of Week 15 in the NFL. As for a familiar face, guess who'll be coming to a road arena near you in the NBA? Kyrie Irving. What his return means for the Nets and the rest of the league? Also, was Stephen Curry's all-time three-point record celebration a bit too much? The Mets have finally secured their manager in Buck Showalter. Is he the final piece to a possible championship puzzle in Flushing? Several NHL teams will have games postponed through the Christmas weekend and now no cross-border travel until then. What will they do to make up these games? Christmas week is here. I'll have plenty of gifts to hand out as well as a lot of coal. It's all coming right up. But first, this message. Hey everybody, Jay Reels here to share a friendly reminder. If this is your first time getting an opportunity to listen to what it is that I have to say about what's going on in the world of sports, welcome aboard. Or if you've been a long-time listener, not only do I welcome you back, but I want to advise you all to please subscribe, rate, and review the J Reels podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. Of course, this pod is on all platforms. On Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, Player FM, even Amazon Music. I not only host this endeavor, but I independently produce, edit, and write what you read and listen to so your participation is vital to not only support the podcast, but increase the visibility, fuel the growth and expansion of this platform to those who aren't familiar with it. You could also share the show or a particular episode by posting on social media as well. The purpose of this is quite simple, people, to generate interest to those who aren't aware or know of this podcast, especially the former or current athlete, the broadcaster, blogger, sports writer, studio host, etc., as I want them to share their experience on the field, the court, the press box, broadcast booth, or in the studio with me, so then I can flip that to you guys and gals to deliver top-notch, fast-paced, entertaining, informative, incredible sports talk unlike any other, for everyone to listen and enjoy and to keep coming back for more on a week-in, week-out basis. You could also go to my website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. I appreciate you all for your support. Thank you very much for listening and believing in me. I hope you come back for more as your trusted source on everything that's happening in the world of sports. So with that said, the J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits, and why shouldn't we be? We're gearing up for the official start of winter, which is tomorrow. Christmas just five days away. The new year, a dozen days from today. The holiday season is officially here. So while you're wrapping gifts, whipping up some eggnog, Preparing that six-course meal for Saturday, packing up for a trip to visit family or friends, or maybe doing some last-minute Christmas shopping. 
Thank you for stopping by to get your fill on everything that's happening in the world of sports as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me for now 229 episodes, I welcome you guys and gals back. It is a Monday, December the 20th in the year of our Lord 2021. The J Reels What's the Deal segment. What's expected on this podcast is as follows. Get ready, NBA fans. If you're outside of the New York City area, San Francisco, and Toronto, Kyrie Irving will be coming to an arena near you as the Nets agree to bring Irving back to the team. What does this mean for a Brooklyn team with high expectations? How effective will he be? When will he play? I'll dive into all that, as well as Steph Curry's all-time record-breaking three-pointers in a career, which happened last Tuesday at the Garden. Was it over the top? Was it a bit too much? Be sure to keep your ears open for that as I'll touch on everything that's happening in the association. Also, if there's a sport that's been decimated by COVID, it's the NHL. More players testing positive, games being postponed, now no cross-border travel through Christmas. What is the league to do as the postponements pile up? I'll share my thoughts on that later on, as well as the New York Mets finally get their man. No more first-time managers as owner Steve Cohen announces on Twitter that Buck Showalter will be the guy to lead this team into the playoffs and hopefully, God willing, for their long-suffering fans, a World Series title. Is he the final piece to this active offseason for the Amazons? I'll get into that later on. And also a couple of other things, including my hero in Zero of the Week. Just when we thought we may have been out of the woods... As we get closer to the end of this year, and with the fall and winter sports percolating and pretty much getting off to a very good start, yes, we've had some cases here and there pop up, but no disruptions or nothing to the point where we would have to hold our collective breaths to see what's going to happen in the latest edition of COVID rocking, not only just the sports world, but here in this country and around the globe. But just like we've seen in the Geico commercial with the Kimbe Mutombo swatting cereal boxes and wagging that famous finger of his saying, no, no, no. Well, guess what? COVID has certainly come back to say, I still control this to an extent because we all know these leagues, whether it's the NBA, the NHL, and obviously the NFL, they're going to plow on and continue to fight the good fight or at least do its absolute best to steer clear from everything that's going on when it comes to this virus. And obviously with the NFL, and as we've seen here over the last few days, man, has the COVID list continued to pile, these games being rescheduled now as we have, as of this recording, still four more games, and important ones at that, to be played when it comes to the playoff scenario, as it's starting to take a little bit more shape But still a lot of questions that need to be answered as we're now just three weeks away from the end of this NFL season. And to kick off week 15, I have to get right into it. My winners and losers as we'll go through the winners. The first one has to go to the Indianapolis Colts. Because when you think of how they started off their season, they were 0-3, 1-4, And got swept early on in the season. The AFC South where the Tennessee Titans looked like they were going to be in cruise control. To a division. To as of right this second. 
They are one game back, technically two when you think about it because the Titans do have that edge in the division. But with the performance that you saw there on Saturday night, they had a 20 to nothing lead over the red-hot New England Patriots, although the Patriots did have a valiant comeback there as the game progressed. It was 20 to nothing in the third quarter. But they did make it close. Indianapolis hung on. But the guy who is not getting a lot of pub, and not to say that he's underrated by any stretch, but for all the talk about Aaron Rodgers or even Tom Brady being the MVP of the league, although he's not going to win, but one guy that certainly needs to be put into that category is the one Jonathan Taylor. Because what he has done here throughout this recent stretch of cold victories, he has been by far the MVP of the league and has been pretty much a mainstay there for the Colts, leading them in the charge to get themselves in good footing when it comes to the playoffs. So kudos to what the Colts have done. Coach Frank Reich, big win against the Patriots, as I mentioned. And luckily for them, they went into the final bye week the week before with the Colts, with the Dolphins, and with the Eagles. So they did have a little bit of wind in their sails, playing at home, and getting out to that big league before hanging on and winning a big contest against the Patriots, which could loom large when it comes to possible tiebreaker scenarios. But as of right now, the Colts get my number one winner of the week. And the other winner is going to go to another team that was pretty much left for dead and is now put themselves at least in the discussion in the AFC playoff picture, and that's the Miami Dolphins. Now, granted, they've had a very soft underbelly of a schedule as evidenced by victories over the Giants, over Carolina, and then yesterday with a game at home against the New York Jets, a team that was once 1-7 has climbed all the way back to get themselves at 500 at 7-7. And And this has been a total team effort. Tua Tagovailoa, who's had some moments here throughout the stretch, but certainly not ranking among the expectations that they would hope for, but they have to be proud of what he's done in leading this charge to get themselves just, like I said, even in the realm of a jam-packed AFC to where, not to say they control their own destiny, but if they continue to run the table, they will make the playoffs and quite possibly, maybe even win a division, which is as far-fetched as you could possibly think right now because the Chances of them them winning the AFC East are very slim, if not none. But give it up. They have done a remarkable job here, and they have a game in New Orleans next Monday night. We'll get to the Saints in a little bit. But a schedule that, not to say it's difficult between at New Orleans, and then they have to go to Tennessee, which is not going to be easy, and then the final game where they have the Patriots coming into their building. Tricky schedule. They've come from the dead to get to where they are now, but have a lot of work to do. But I have to give it up. Just a tremendous job by Coach Brian Flores and for the Dolphins to get themselves in this position at this moment was something that I didn't see and I'm sure a lot of people did not see. So those are my first two winners of the week. Now my losers, this one's a layup. And that goes to the Arizona Cardinals. Now granted, they did lose the game Monday night, which obviously we didn't forecast as we were recording that morning of the matchup between them and the Rams, but losing to the Rams at home, okay, that could happen. But to go on the road where they were 7-0 and up until yesterday, they go to the Motor City to play a Lion team that has been feisty here over the last few weeks, 
But for them to just lay an absolute giant deuce at Ford Field, where they weren't able to forget about slow down a Lion offense, but they weren't even able to contain them. And this isn't the Lion offense of Barry Sanders, Herman Moore, Brett Perman of years past. This is a team that wants to close out the season strong. They, they went off to that 0-10 or 0-10-1 start, and here they are playing some good football, and the Cardinals just, I tell you, they're a team that's trending south, and I'm sure a lot of people out there, including yours truly, that does not believe in this team, whether it's the coach, Cliff Kingsbury, the quarterback, I understand he's coming back from injury, but he's played here in a couple of games, trying to get his bearings, and has done, for the most part, a very good job in trying to get back and put themselves in a position to where they could possibly get a one seed, well, you could pretty much forget about it. You could throw it out the window. The Cardinals look like they're going to be in a fight, not only just to even think about a number one seed, but maybe even for the division, and that we'll discuss a little bit later on. So they're my loser number one, and number two has to go to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, only because to keep pace with the Green Bay Packers who pulled out a victory in Baltimore yesterday, and for Tampa, other than the playoff game last year, and we understand that's what it's all about, winning games where the money's on the line, but for them to not only lose to a New Orleans Saints team that came into this game at 5-7, and seven, but to be shut out by them, and to think Tom Brady in the regular season against the Saints over the last two years, he's 0-4. I understand that he lost some key pieces offensively in the game by losing Chris Godwin, Leonard Fournette, and even Mike Evans. So I get it. You don't have a lot to work with there when it comes to the stout wide receiving core that they have. And remember, Antonio Brown just finished his three-game suspension based on the whole fake vaccination card weeks ago. But now you have to wonder about this Buck team. Is this going to be a regroup? Let's get it going and see where the chips may fall after week 18. Now granted, they do play the Panthers twice and the Jets sandwiched in between, so it's not as if they have some tough sledding ahead. But that was a game that they should have been able to win. You would think that they would have tried to get that piano off their back to calm all the critics about the Saints and their success over the Buccaneers the last couple of years. But that's not to be the case here as you wake up this morning. And for them to get shut out, that was just mind-boggling. So they get my second loser of the week. And as we look at the Week 15 docket and with the four games that still need to be played, whether it's 5 o'clock in Cleveland where the Las Vegas Raiders, which was supposed to be the Saturday night game or the late Saturday afternoon game to precede the Colts and Patriots there, had to be pushed because of all the COVID cases for the Cleveland Browns where they had, I believe, 10 starters, including both quarterbacks, Baker Mayfield and Case Keenum. Now the issue is, as of right this very second, both quarterbacks have not cleared protocol to be part of the lineup. So you're going to look at Nick Mullins, the old San Francisco 49er backup, as the third string who's going to start in this game against the Raiders. So with that, then you had the Monday night game, which is set 8-15 between the Vikings and Bears. Big game for the Vikings if they want to keep themselves part of the NFC playoff mix. Tomorrow you have two games at 7 o'clock where Seattle is going to the Rams to play LA and that gives an opportunity for the Rams to get a victory and possibly be tied for first place in an NFC West. 
And then you also have at 7 o'clock Washington playing Philadelphia with the Washington football team after the Saints winning yesterday. They currently have the seventh seed in the NFC. So if Washington does win, they'll be able to get the seventh seed and knock the Saints out of the playoff picture as of this moment. So you have a bunch of games here over the next 36 hours where there are going to be implications throughout in both the AFC and NFC. So we'll keep an eye on that as we move forward. But as we look back, going back to Thursday night where the game between the Chiefs and Chargers set us off for a pretty much of a frenzied NFL weekend. And that was a game that when the Chargers look back on the season, whether they make the playoffs or not, that's one they're going to kick themselves because for them to have an opportunity to secure first place in the AFC West and would have all the tiebreakers considering that they beat the Chiefs in Arrowhead earlier this year. But that's one that Coach Brandon Staley, for all of his aggressiveness, is going to wonder whether or not it was just a little bit too much for a Charger team to overcome based on some decisions that he made early in the game, right before the half, where if it's fourth and 100, it seems like he's going to go for it. I don't know if that's because he just feels as if he's so confident in his quarterback, Justin Herbert, and the skill position players that he has, whether it's Austin Eckler, Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, etc. But for the Chargers to have an opportunity to where they would have put themselves in great position to not only win a division, but also host a playoff game in a building that doesn't really have any type of home field advantage. They certainly flushed it right down the toilet with that performance there toward the end of the game. And not to say they were bad, but they had plenty of leads, had plenty of opportunities to put the Chiefs away, and they didn't do it. And now the Chiefs will pretty much control their own destiny, not only in the division, but pretty much in the AFC as they're now the top seed in the conference and will have a bye if the season ended today. And even though their schedule is a little bit tricky to close out the year, they do have the Steelers coming in their building this Sunday, then a trip to Cincinnati, who now, as we'll get to them in a minute, has put themselves in a good position to win the division. And then their final game is a trip out to Denver to close out the regular season in the mile high. So the Chiefs have it all right in front of them, where the Chargers, they do go to Houston on Sunday, which you think would be a win. But then they have two tough games where Denver comes into their building and then they go to Las Vegas to close out the season. So will they get to 10 wins and pretty much secure a postseason bid? That remains to be seen. We talked a little bit about the game on Saturday night. New England, they were due to lose. What could you say? It wasn't a scenario where we could look at the Patriots and say, "Uh uh-oh, this is where it starts to falter. This is where maybe things will start to slip a little bit. So, not to worry about, although they have a very interesting matchup this coming Sunday in one of the marquee games this week. So, we'll get to that when we go through the Week 16 schedule. But, as we look at Sunday's docket, and pretty much as we go through just some of the key games here, and then obviously we'll break down the playoff scenario in both conferences. To stick with the AFC, I'll get into the AFC North right now because all... Other teams have been impacted. Obviously, the Browns play later today. But when we look at the Tennessee Titans, and coming into yesterday, they were actually the number one seed in the conference. I know a lot of people are going to look at New England being that top seed, but with the Patriots losing, 
on Saturday night and Tennessee having that half game edge, they look to go to Pittsburgh to get themselves a leg up in the AFC and for what that was worth, they pretty much gave the Steelers an early Christmas gift by their performance in the second half. Now they jumped out to a 10-0 lead. They actually had a 13-3 lead in the third quarter. But things started to turn there late in the third quarter where the Steelers had a long drive. And as everybody knows, I like to talk about the Steelers last to kind of get a little assessment of my favorite team and to see what's going to come out of it moving forward. And I'll get to Pittsburgh in a minute. But the Titans, even when the Steelers had that one drive to where Ben Roethlisberger plunged in from the one-foot line pretty much to make it 13-10. And then the comedy of errors after that whether it was the fumble in their own territory to where the Steelers kicked a field goal to tie the game, another interception as they crossed midfield where Tannehill got a ball deflected and it was intercepted by the linebacker Joe Schobert. He ran it to the 30. Steelers couldn't do anything with that. They ended up kicking a field goal there. And then as the Titans were starting to drive from under center, Tannehill fumbles the ball. Steelers recover. They end up kicking another field goal. But at 19-13, with the Titans trying to make a last-ditch effort to get into the end zone on a 4th and 6th in the Steelers' red zone, Tannehill completes a pass that was short of the marker, but for whatever the reason, the officials gave the Titans the most generous spot of all time. I'm sure that even if it was a first down, Tomlin, who's been awful with challenges ever since he came into the league, he would have had to throw in the flag there and he would have won that challenge, but thankfully it didn't come to that. It was literally a penny that you could probably put between the link of the sticks to where the nose of the football was that separated that close for the Pittsburgh Steelers to win that game and for the Titans to go off into the night to the airport and back to Nashville thinking that they literally just shot themselves in the foot and were unable to get a road victory in Pittsburgh, which would have dashed the Steelers' postseason or really fading postseason hopes. And the Titans are going to say to themselves, what if they didn't cough up the football so many times to where they lose 19-13 to and put themselves as a three-seed currently in the AFC? Just an awful performance. And as I'm sure you saw in the graphic on the game, in their losses here during the stretch to where they started off 8-2, and two, and now they've been 1-3, where I believe they have turned the ball over 13 times in their losses. And for a Tennessee Titan team that, let's face it, no Derrick Henry, Julio Jones had to leave with a hamstring, and he hasn't been the same player that he was in Atlanta. Kind of makes you think that his days as a dominant wide receiver could be coming to a close. And then the defense, which can be opportunistic with their speed, but aren't going to shake in your boots if you're an offensive coordinator. And what can you say? The Titans just a terrible job as they right now are having to look themselves in the mirror knowing that they had a golden opportunity to put themselves in good position in the AFC. And now they may be even scrambling because with the Colts nipping at their heels, and even though they do have that two-game edge, Just a game back in the division, but with the sweep over the Colts, they should still come out victorious and host a home game no matter where they fall in the standings. But man, just a disappointing loss. And as far as the Steelers go, it's not redeeming by any stretch because other than the one drive that they had, the offense 
has just been abysmal. They had 168 yards of offense total in the game. And mind you, even with those turnovers, which were in Titan territory, they weren't able to forget about get first downs. They weren't even able to move the ball an inch pretty much. And which was a shame because the game wouldn't have come down to that final play to where you're thinking, oh Jesus, there's a first down there on that fourth and seven. The Titans would have won the game. There's no doubt in my mind that would have been the case. But they were able to live to see another day. Tomlin's blowing kisses to the camera afterwards once the Steelers were able to secure the victory. And tough sledding for them moving forward. They got to go to Kansas City. They host Cleveland on a Monday night the week after that and then go to Baltimore to close out their season. Again, it's still a long shot for this team. I know that you're going to be rooting hard. I know I will for the Vegas Raiders because it did not break right for the Steelers over the weekend considering all of the 7-6 and six teams that were ahead of them all won except for Denver, but of course they were playing Cincinnati and I'll get to that game in a minute. You needed to have all those 7-6 and six teams lose and even though the Ravens did lose, which was a help, but the Colts, Bengals, and Bills all won yesterday. So you have to have some of those teams lose. I get you still have three weeks to go to where any of these teams could lose, especially uh, Buffalo has a big game this coming weekend in Foxborough. But again, you got to go to Kansas City. And I get that the Chiefs are due to lose at some point. But with the way the Steelers have played, especially offensively and their defense, yes, they're able to make key stops. Thank you, Joe Hayden, for that tackle there on the final offensive play for the Titans yesterday. But it is an uphill battle for this team just to get first downs, let alone touchdowns. So let's see what they do in Arrowhead. I think they are not going to make the postseason. There's too many teams ahead of them. And not only that, but they can't get out of their own way offensively. So that's what we have with the Steelers. As for the Bengals, they had to go to the mile high to play the Broncos in what was not an interesting game, although it was an interesting matchup because you figure one of these two teams, if they've lost, probably would have been on the outside looking in come at the end of the season when it matters as far as the playoffs go. But the Bengals, after Drew Locke had to come into the game where Teddy Bridgewater was carted off, and I believe he's stable and doing fine in a Denver hospital, But after Drew Locke led them to a touchdown for Tim Patrick there late in the third quarter, they were able to get the go-ahead score where Joe Burrow connects with Tyler Boyd for a long touchdown. And in the fourth quarter, it was just a matter of field position and pretty much nothing happened, nothing came about. He had one point in the game where the Broncos were knocking on the door to where the Bengals were able to get a fumble recovery only for the Broncos in that same possession get the ball back. But they made it clear that the Bengal defensive lineman who stripped the ball was down on contact. The Bengals had the ball, and that was pretty much the only opportunity that the Broncos had in order for them to try to go ahead in this game. So the Broncos look like, although they're probably going to be tough here the last few weeks of the season, but they're a team that looks like they're going to be out of the playoff picture. So that's number two in the AFC North. And then you had the Ravens host the Green Bay Packers to wear no Lamar Jackson because of that ankle sprain he suffered the week before in Cleveland. And you had Tyler Huntley, who's done a magnificent job. I mean, this guy's been a, I'm not going to say a poor man's or a homeless version of Lamar Jackson, but he has certainly been a, we'll say Lamar Jackson 1A. As he's put up decent numbers, he was able to run in a couple of touchdowns, including the one late when they were trailing 
at one point, 28-17, and also 31-17. He brought his team all the way back. And then the question that's going to be bandied about here today at a bunch of water coolers or in text threads where John Harbaugh, I can understand two weeks ago against Pittsburgh because your secondary was depleted and you didn't want to go into overtime without having any of your key cornerbacks. But for him yesterday, knowing that the game was in his building, and I understand that the defense, more so middle part of the game, second and third quarter, where Aaron Rodgers had his way with that secondary, but for him to go for two at that point, where Huntley, I understand he could have maybe been a little bit more creative, maybe they could have done a little bit more RPO where they rolled out. I didn't like the play at all, just from the start of it. Kick the extra point there. I get that you're still leaving 42 seconds left, one timeout for Aaron Rodgers, understood. But at least tell your defense for 42 seconds, come on, let's get a stop. Maybe we'll get the coin toss. We'll try to get into the end zone and we'll come away with a victory. Now it puts the Ravens in a scenario where they are tied atop the AFC North with the Bengals, but the Bengals have the tiebreaker as of today because of the early season victory in Baltimore. And again, John Harbaugh, you could see two weeks ago when Pittsburgh was on the road, what the hell. But at home, and I get he's being aggressive. He figures that it's best to just close the game out there. And he got the approval from Mark Andrews and everybody else on the team. But those are going to be games that's going to keep him up all offseason if they, A, don't make the playoffs. As of right now, they're on the outside looking in. And B, if they don't win a division because they have a, another big matchup in Cincinnati against the Bengals this week, which I'm looking forward to. So you have an AFC North picture, which is jumbled. And that's not even including the Browns. As I've said earlier, on a couple of occasions, they're going to be playing later on today. So now with the Packers winning yesterday in Baltimore, they are now at the pole position spot in the NFC. And with the remainder of their schedule, where they have Cleveland coming into their building on Christmas night, the following week, a Sunday night against Minnesota, and then at Detroit in week 18. Schedule, a little tricky, but not impossible. Obviously, they hold all the cards. They're in a spot where they could get themselves back in a position that they were last year to not only get a bye, but host throughout the NFC. And everything is coming up rosy in Green Bay right now with the way the Packers have performed here over the last few weeks. Other games of note, Buffalo beating Carolina. Carolina didn't even have a kicker in the game, which if you watch some of the highlights, you you had guys off the street or pretty much special teams players kicking extra points at field goals. Well, that didn't come to pass as Buffalo pretty much had a cakewalk type of game. 31-14, get themselves back in the win column with a big game coming up this weekend against New England. Miami beating the Jets. The Jets were feisty. They had a 17-7 lead. Miami came roaring back. As I mentioned, they were one of my winners of the week. And they were able to hold on to win a 31-24 victory over the Jets. And Miami, we talked about their upcoming schedule. Let's see what they could do. I think they're going to fall short. They are not going to run the table to win nine straight. In fact, think about this. I picked Miami as an under this year. And their number was nine and a half. And now that they've gotten to seven, they still have to get and win the next three games in order to get to 10. I can't see them winning nine in a row. They go to New Orleans Monday night. New Orleans has some wind under their sails. We understand that they're up and down, they're erratic, but considering that the game is in the Superdome, 
Miami's going to have their hands full to try to get themselves over 500 for the first time since week one when they beat New England up in Foxborough. So we'll have to wait and see there. Also, when we get to the NFC, because now as we shift gears here before we take a whole look at the land in both conferences, Dallas beats the Giants. No shock there. 21-6. Mike Glennon, pathetic as you could possibly be, but the Giants, they're going nowhere fast. And you can see a lot of changes that are going to be made. Who knows? Maybe even with the head coach. Although you don't think that Joe Judge will be out in the street. But you would think going into next year, depending on what the Giants do this offseason, it is pretty much going to be do or die for Joe Judge. So that's what we have there. Also, San Francisco winning against Atlanta. The Niners are hot as a pistol right now. And you have to look ahead with a big Thursday night game going to Tennessee to kick us or for a week 16. Interesting matchup, as we'll get to that in a minute. But the Niners are clicking. They're a team that a lot of people are saying right now that they do not want to play in the postseason. I kind of beg to differ, but for right now, give it up for the way the Niners have rebounded and bounced back here as they dispose of the Atlanta Falcons. And it looks like you're not going to hear from them for the rest of the years. They're now 6-8. and eight. Other than that, I'm not going to get into Houston and Jacksonville. Nothing really to get into there. And that's pretty much your slate for a week 15, as we have said, and infinitum. You still have four more games that need to be played between now and 10 o'clock tomorrow night, depending on when you're listening to this. So, and we've already touched on how those games will be played. How I look at it real quick, the Raiders, I think they have an opportunity to win this game because Nick Mullins, do you expect them, him to go ahead and manage the game? Although he has had his moments in the NFL, but they're going to rely more on their run and they're depleted even on the defensive side, although they get Josh Johnson the third back in their secondary, but no Jadavian Clowney. Also, you have a lot of the guys I mentioned about Baker, Mayfield not playing, and also the backup Case Keenum. They're both out because of health and safety reasons. So I could see the Raiders squeaking out a game, and maybe even the Raiders, for a last-ditch effort, could try to put their name in the hat as far as the AFC playoffs go. The... Night game, I can see the Bears putting up a big effort here. The Vikings, we all know they're up and down after that wild game there last Thursday against the Steelers. But I can see the Vikings prevailing here. They know they had to keep pace with the other 7-7 seven and seven teams in the conference, or even 6-7 and seven when you're looking at the Eagles, as well as the Washington football team, which will play tomorrow night. And I would think the Eagles will prevail there in the first of two games Because the game is at home and the Eagles, who knows if Jalen Hurts is going to be back under center for tomorrow. We know last time we saw the Eagles, Gardner Minshew did a phenomenal job. Granted, it was against the Jets, but still. And the Washington football team is coming off that bad loss against the Cowboys, so who knows. But I would think the Eagles will have the edge and win the game. And if Seattle goes to L.A. to play the Rams, and I think the Rams will be chomping at the bit, knowing that they had that big game and win in Arizona last week. And with Arizona losing, they know that they could be tied for first place in the West with a win against the Seattle team that can be feisty, but is looking toward the offseason here. So I would think the Rams will prevail at home. But as we've seen, the Rams could stub their toe like they did against the Titans that Sunday night a few weeks back. And remains to be seen on whether or not the Rams will be able to get themselves back on the beam and maybe even try to fight for a division title and get themselves amongst the top two or three teams in the NFC. 
Now, before we get to the playoff picture, let's take a quick look at the schedule next week. And I've already touched on a couple of games which are fascinating. Starting off with the San Francisco-Tennessee game there Thursday night. That's a game where Tennessee, they need to rebound in the worst way. They know that if they lose, they don't want to fall back to a point where they could be tied for the division in the AFC South. And the Niners are full steam ahead, you would think. Who knows what the weather's going to be. I'm sure it's going to be chilly. It's going to be cold there in Nashville. But that's a game where playoff implications are abound for both of those teams. The Christmas night games or Christmas afternoon, you have Cleveland at Green Bay. Remains to be seen what's going to happen with Cleveland tonight. If they do win, that's going to be a game that people are going to need to keep their eyes on. Green Bay, obviously, to keep that one seed in the NFC, but also Cleveland to see what they could do if they do win tonight. And we would think Baker Mayfield will be back, but it'll be a lot more intriguing if Cleveland does win tonight. I hope that's not the case, but if they do win, that'll be a game where a lot of people will want to be fixated on. And then the Saturday night game is Indianapolis at Arizona. Two teams going in two different directions. Arizona needs to get a win in the worst way against a very stout opponent. And that run game, as we talked about earlier with Jonathan Taylor. So that's one that we will certainly zero in on for both the AFC and NFC. So that's a game that we'll definitely have to watch, keep our eyes on, and see how that shakes down in the desert. As far as the Sunday games, you do have a handful of games that are fascinating to say the least. Baltimore at Cincinnati is a game for the division. If Cincinnati wins, they will have cruise control. I don't want to say cruise control is too strong, but they will have pole position in the AFC North because of the sweep over the Baltimore Ravens if they do win that game on Sunday. And Baltimore, you would think Lamar Jackson is going to be ready to play. This is pretty much going to be the Ravens season now that they've lost three in a row. So that's a game very intriguing in the AFC. As well as Buffalo going to New England. Let's see how Buffalo responds after their win yesterday against Carolina. Right. They weren't world beaters to say the least. The Panthers, that is, as far as competition goes. But now, let's see if they could redeem themselves as they go to Foxborough in a key AFC East tilt. And if the... Patriots do win, they'll have the division wrapped up and Buffalo will be looking at a bottom seed in the AFC. Another game of note, 425 Pittsburgh at Kansas City. Kansas City to keep their one seed in Pittsburgh for whatever playoff chances that they have, they need to win that game. Uh, That's not more of a highlight game than the other two, but that's one that, of course, we'll pay attention to. Other than that, the rest of the schedule. Now, the games that have playoff note, Rams at Minnesota, Let's see what Minnesota does in Chicago tonight because that's going to be huge. Tampa, Carolina, only because of Tampa and you think they're going to rebound against the Panthers. Other than that, there isn't really much. I'm not even going to put Chargers and Texans in there. I know the Chargers to keep pace, but come on. They're playing the Texans and they beat Jacksonville yesterday. No big whoop. But the other games there, Denver at Vegas. If Vegas wins, maybe you could say... Two seven and seven teams. That's definitely a loser leaves town match to where whomever loses that game, you can forget about them for the rest of the year. I do not like the Sunday night game, Washington at Dallas. I get it's Dallas and their market and the Cowboys understood, but that's a game I wish they could have flexed out. The Monday night game next week is Miami, New Orleans. Ah, all right. Well, New Orleans is still in the mix as well as the Dolphins, but again, not a sexy matchup, not one that you're going to Focus in on at the end of your Christmas weekend. 
And that pretty much wraps it up. Chicago, Seattle, nobody's going to pay attention to. Jacksonville at the Jets, haha, yeah, right. And Detroit and Atlanta, yeah, maybe next year, but that's what we have to wrap up a week number 16. And as far as the standings real quick, let's take a quick peek as an up-to-the-minute by conference. AFC has Kansas City at 1, New England 9-5, and five, tied with Tennessee, but remember because of the tiebreaker earlier this year, New England right now has the two-seed. Number four is the Bengals at eight and six, followed by the Colts with the five, also at eight and six, Chargers and Bills eight and six. And how that all shakes out is that with all those teams, now the Bengals, because they're a division leader, they're going to be number four right now. But with Indy, LA Chargers, Buffalo, and then Baltimore on the outside at eight and six. And then of course you have Cleveland seven and six, Pittsburgh seven, six and one, and then Miami, Denver at seven and seven. It is a logjam there from the middle to the bottom of that AFC with a lot to be said over the course of these next three weeks. And that's what we have there in the AFC. As far as the NFC, here's one that I do not like and understand when it comes to the tiebreaker. And I get it when it's a jumbled mess. That's where it impacts these seedings. As we've said a zillion times so far, the Packers are your one seed at 11 and three. Your number two seed, You would think when you look at it right from the surface at 10 and 4 that Tampa would be the number two seed because of their week one matchup and their victory over the Cowboys. But because they're lumped in with the Arizona Cardinals at 10 and 4, the Dallas Cowboys have the two seed as of right now because of the way the conference records work. And if Arizona, let's say, won yesterday and they were 11-3, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers would have the three seed based on the head-to-head matchup. But because Arizona impacts that, the Cowboys are your two seed. I know screwed up. It's weird. I don't like it. You would think that the first head-to-head matchup between Tampa and Dallas automatically puts Tampa at the two seed, but it doesn't. So let's see how that unfolds over the course of the next couple of weeks where Dallas, they have their matchup against the... Washington football team Sunday night, as we've discussed. They also go to Philadelphia to close out the regular season. And their Week 16 matchup off the top of my head, but let me see if I can pull up their schedule real quick. The Cowboys sandwiched in between the game against the Washington football team and the Eagles is a matchup at home against the Arizona Cardinals. So talk about a game that's going to have playoff implications abound as the Slowly but surely fading Cardinals will be heading into Jerry's world in two weeks in a matchup that will mean a lot as far as seeding in the NFC. So that's what we have there. And then when we get toward the bottom of the conference, the Rams with the win tonight will put themselves tied for first place. And I believe, let me just think here. No, the Cardinals do have a better division record. But you have to also wonder, wrapped up with all the 10 and 4s, if they win with Tampa and the Cowboys, and remember, the Rams beat Tampa early this year, but that's not going to matter. It's going to go by conference record, so they'll have a 7-3 and conference record, which will leapfrog them over both Arizona and Tampa. So the Rams will actually be a three seed if they do win tonight. So I'll have to keep that in mind, where Arizona will drop to five. Then you have the Niners at 8-6, and six, followed by the Saints at 7-7, seven and seven, and that's your 6-7 and seven seeds. And speaking of 6-7, and seven, you have Washington, Minnesota, Philadelphia, all 6-7, and seven, and all have games to be played here over the next, as I said, day and a half. 
So that pretty much wraps up your up-to-the-minute football with the playoff picture and a lot more drama to ensue and unfold here in the next three weeks, and you know I'm going to be all on top of this. And before we move on, I know I mentioned this the other day if you checked my social media accounts, but the news last week with Urban Meyer being fired 13 games into his NFL stint as coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars based on the latest accusations where Josh Lambeau, the former Jaguar kicker during the preseason, and why this came out now, I don't know. But with everything that's happened to Urban Meyer, pretty much from the second he got the job, when he brought in the strength and conditioning coach to where he had a lot of peccadillos or more than that, some transgressions that were highly questionable and made you wonder whether or not that Urban Meyer looked like if he was even ready to build a coaching staff, let alone lead a team of men. So between that, between the scenario that happened in the preseason with Lambeau, where supposedly and allegedly Meyer said to him, you dip blank, don't F this up, even kick them in the process. Uh, Urban Meyer, this isn't college. What's going on here? And it kind of makes you wonder, did he treat his kids at University of Florida, at Utah, at Ohio State the same way? But for Lambeau to come out this week and the owner Shad Khan had no choice but to let him go. And that's not also including the incident in uh, Columbus, the bar that he owned after the loss on a Thursday night to Cincinnati. Him not flying with the team home, but then staying behind where he had the woman on his lap. Not only that, but also all the other stuff about calling his coaching staff losers, the running with the wide receiver Marvin uh, Jones on his own team. All of it just added up to him being terminated and Chad Khan had no choice, did the right thing and Urban Meyer, we hardly knew ye. He even said he was sorry and said he was heartbroken that he wasn't going to finish the job there but of course he has to say that and maybe there's a part of him that feels that way but who knows, maybe he was just looking for an exit because the NFL, as high and mighty as it is, No matter what your resume is in college, just ask Nick Saban, even Bobby Petrino on a lesser degree, and even Steve Spurrier, if you want to throw his name in the hat. There's no way that your success in the college game will translate to the pros, no matter how many titles you win, no matter how successful you are in the college ranks. And here's just another example of it, where Urban Meyer is gone just 13 weeks into the season. As for the college football front, next week on the podcast, I'll preview the Final Four, which will take place on Friday, New Year's Eve. The first game has Cincinnati and Alabama, where the second game has Georgia and Michigan. So we'll break that all down next week. I'll give you my thoughts, analysis, everything in reference to that Final Four a couple weeks ago. And I'll post it this week. I have my storylines for each of the four teams heading into that Final Four, which I'll post on my social media accounts, Instagram, Twitter, also Facebook, so you'll get an idea as to how I think these teams not only match up, but also pretty much what the angle is for each of these administrations, the schools, and what's at stake here as they march into a semifinal there on the final day of 2021. All right, now let's turn our attention to the association and some big news that has come out, especially here in my neck of the woods, right across a couple of bridges in Brooklyn. 
And we know COVID has rocked the NBA just like it's done with the NHL. And I'll get to the NHL in a bit, as well as the NFL, as we just discussed. But the big news of the week was the net hierarchy reaching a decision to institute and bring back one of their key members of the team, as we all know, which has been well documented and not to get into that. But Kyrie Irving, they decided to bring him back to the team only to play on the road games, which for a team that has now been rocked with COVID as they have nine players, including Kyrie Irving, and obviously he's going to be on that list because with him being unvaccinated and he's got to go through all the protocols, the tests, so he was automatically put as a ninth player on the team to be in the COVID protocol. But the big question is, what does this mean for a net team moving forward where they're going to have their teammate pretty much half the time and will practice, but is not going to be in the building, whether at the Barclays Center, at Madison Square Garden, up in Toronto where the Raptors play, or even in San Francisco where the Golden State Warriors play. And it's twofold. One, I guess the organization had to come to this conclusion for two reasons. One, the long-term health of this team. And by that, we're talking about Kevin Durant and James Harden. They've been logging many minutes here throughout the early part of the season. They do have the one seed in the conference as of right now, but they know that over the course of the rest of the season, which still has roughly 50 games to go, And for a guy like Irving, and we all know how talented he is and his prowess on the floor and what he means, etc., that they know that it was not going to be for the well-being of this organization from a physical standpoint that they could just run their top two players ragged and would have to have Kyrie on the floor, albeit in road games, but maybe he could log some of the extra minutes that Durant and Harden would have taken on if Irving wasn't part of the fold here. So I can understand why that they had to make this decision. I'm sure it wasn't popular. I'm sure that as much as they have stuck to their guns and realized that they didn't want to have this firestorm brewing, not only maybe just within the organization, but even outside of the organization to have a guy who's unvaccinated and we could, that's a whole other podcast altogether. But for the Nets, as shrewd as it is for them to bring Kyrie, I can understand why they did it. But now here's the second part of that. How will the teammates and the organization embrace Kyrie? Now Kyrie has to hold serve when it comes to playing these road games. And we understand that Kyrie is a guy that likes to take time off, as we've seen here over the last year. He's a guy that dances to his own and beats to his own drum. And I'm sure that the discussions have been over the last couple of weeks, not only with Kyrie himself, but I'm sure his camp to say, hey, listen, we need to have you on all these road games. We understand at home. We understand that's where you could take your time off, sit back whenever there's a homestand. Obviously, when the Nets are, who knows, have a three or four or five game homestand where they're going to be in town for about a week to 10 days, that's going to be his time off. But anytime they're on the road, whether it's in the dregs of the NBA out West or even in the East, he's going to have to be front and center to log all these minutes. But at the same time, I know early on they can't expect much out of Kyrie because A, he's not in game shape. 
B, it's going to take him time to not only clear the protocol and as the schedule now turns to where they're going to be on the road later this week in Portland and then, of course, in L.A. to play the Lakers on Christmas night, which he's not going to be ready and not going to, I'm sure, maybe he won't even be on the bench. But for the team, which I know they're going to embrace Kyrie, they're going to be more than happy to have him on, but is it going to be a thing where because of the treatment that he's going to get, and it's not preferential because this is obviously going to be agreed between the organization and Kyrie, but will there be long-term some backlash on whether or not Kyrie kind of picks and chooses, which wasn't is not really far-fetched or anything out of the imagination to where if Kyrie says that, uh, I don't want to go to Detroit, Minnesota, Utah, or whatever other city that maybe he will kind of hang back and say, nah, I'm going to sit this one out. We saw it last year when they had that trip to, I believe it was Portland, Utah, and Detroit, which was the week of his birthday. And would we be surprised that if Kyrie said sometime in March or right in the thick of a Eastern Conference to where now it's maybe separated by a game or two with the Bucks? with the Sixers, with the, dare I say, Cleveland Cavaliers, which is a long shot, but will he say peace? I'll see you in the postseason. Who knows? I wouldn't be surprised. But I would think Kyrie knows his standing, not only for himself, but also to his teammates, for the bigger picture, which is to not only get into the playoffs in good position, but hopefully make that postseason run because it's all about a championship for the Brooklyn Nets. Making it to a conference final, to an NBA final, is nothing. It's about getting the brass ring. And you would think Kyrie is going to be the good soldier here and say, I got you for all the road games. Obviously, I'm not going to play in the home games at the Garden, Toronto, San Francisco, but I'm going to be there no matter how long I play. Whether it's 15, 18 minutes to start, or they're going to need me for 40 minutes as he starts to get acclimated to playing game in and game out. So, those are going to be the big questions if you ask me. How he responds, especially with the organization and what's been agreed upon. And of course, how Kyrie acts once he's in game shape, ready to go, and for the long haul, to know that all the road games, he's going to be a, not huge, an enormous part of their offense and this team. And hopefully he is responsible in taking shape of his role and his responsibility for this team, knowing that it's championship or bust. And also with all the COVID stuff that's going on, the NBA has instituted a... Not a rule, but they know that with so many COVID cases that are been taking place that they're allowing teams to sign replacement players. Now, I don't know if that means G League players, literally players off the street. I hope that's not the case. Or guys that are keeping themselves in shape to try to make it back to the league. I'm sure you may see a lot of that here. And they've instituted that between now and January 19th. And of course, at that time, they'll take a look at it and see where the... COVID landscape is as far as cases if they continue to rise or if they're starting to peter out a little bit but you kind of wonder with these replacement players and pretty much for every player that 
is on the list. They could sign a replacement player. I don't know if it's more or less like their version of a 10-day contract or they could just be on the roster, kind of like a taxi squad, who knows. But all we hope is that it doesn't denigrate the quality of play because the last thing you need is to have some Joe Schmo just as a warm body on the team and because you need to field or court at least, what is it, nine or ten players, and then you have a guy that's going to come in there and he's going to be toast on the defensive end, and then he couldn't make a layup or a free throw to save his life. So that's something you have to deal with and worry about here with the replacement player. And hopefully it's a player that has been in the league or is in the G League or is just a young player that's looking to earn his stripes as opposed to a guy that, yes, maybe he was on a team a couple of years back and now is trying to make a comeback. I, that's the one thing that I'm sure the league nor the average fan would want to see. Yes, would it give that kid or that player an opportunity? Absolutely, but we know that once you have these replacement players, especially if it's going to be two, three, four, five at a time, uh, you may see a lot of lopsided or upended scores to where you're going to know that a lot of these guys were in the game and you didn't have, didn't have a lot of offensive or even, for that matter, defensive output. So we'll keep our eyes on that. The other big news of note last week was Steph Curry here in the Garden on Tuesday getting the three-point record, which was held by Ray Allen for career 2,973. And right there in the first quarter, he just needed two, and he got him within the first few minutes of the game. Stop the game, ceremony, hugs, all the love from the Garden faithful which I'm sure for the diehard Nick fan, they didn't like, but that didn't matter because everybody was applauding. We know that the Garden is a stage, it's the Mecca, etc. And for him to do it there, I know it had to be special for Curry. But here's my thing. And this isn't to throw ice cold water on it. It's an accomplishment, it's, it's an achievement. And yes, I could see it warranting a, maybe a, bit of an announcement or just a one minute celebration but to think you had Reggie Miller do the game on TNT okay fine because Ray Allen surpassed Reggie Miller and then Ray Allen was in the building all right great but just the pomp and circumstance you would think that this was Steph Curry surpassing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as the all-time leading scorer in league history and I understand it's an accomplishment I'm not trying to knock it by any stretch I understand I said the ice cold water whatever to me, the ice cold water is more for the ceremony and everything that happened after that. I could see a wave of the crowd. I could see a few pounds and hugs there, but they stopped the game. They made it out to be a spectacle. I get it was the Garden. Maybe if it was in Sacramento or if it was in Detroit, it probably wouldn't have gotten the same buzz or have become the spectacle that it was, but because it is the Garden and everything that the Garden throughout its illustrious history and all the moments, this was just another one to add onto the mantle, but I thought it was a bit too much. Just a bit. Celebrated, okay, fine. A little bit of a wave. All right, Ray Allen, Reggie Miller, let's get back to the game. And I look back, when Ray Allen broke Reggie Miller's three-point record all-time, it was in Boston, it was against the Lakers, and yes, they did celebrate it, There was ovations, there was the hugging of his mom and his wife and all that. And I get it, that's fine, no problem. But it seemed like the game went on. It was against the Lakers too, I might add. But I I guess it had to be the Garden. I guess it was just highly anticipated. The fans, they were just on standing room only. It was one of those things where I guess it was a New York moment and they just got swept up in it and 
next thing you know, you had this big celebration there for Steph Curry, who is by far the greatest shooter in the history of the league. But again, I just thought it was a bit too much. So now as we get to the games itself, we have the Christmas games coming up, which I know may be compromised. Who knows with COVID and you're already going to have a couple of instances where with the Nets, they have their games postponed, I believe up until Thursday where they go to Portland. And I believe it's Thursday because they had their game postponed against Washington, the Wizards, which would I believe would have been tomorrow night, then would have a travel day to go to Portland Thursday and then the game against the Lakers on Saturday. But it's all up in the air and it's just a shame because this is the marquee day of the NBA. Those five Christmas day games and right now, you can't even say whether or not these games are going to be played. I mean, you would think that they're going to do their best. But the sad part is they're going up against the NBA. And granted that the highlight game of the day is the 8 p.m. game between the Nets and Lakers. But that's still not going to be enough to sway the football fan where they're going to look at Indianapolis at Arizona first and foremost before they even think about watching a team that's not going to have Kevin Durant, James Harden, or even Kyrie for that matter. And then on the Lakers side where Anthony Davis, who is going to miss four weeks with a MCL sprain, and he thought it was worse where he felt something pop. Thankfully for him, that's not the case. But as I've said last year, and I said during the NBA preview, to me, if Anthony Davis isn't going to be healthy for the postseason, they're not going to win the title. Because people say, oh, he's crazy, LeBron, Russell Westbrook, look at all the expendables, as I call them. To me, without the big fella, they are not going to win a title. And that's all there is to it. And you kind of saw it there last year when he was out in the middle of that game four against the Suns. The Lakers were nowhere to be found after that. And I'm not trying to say that Davis is the focal point of that team. We know he's not. But because of his length, because of what he does, it can't be all on LeBron. Davis is the guy that pretty much is the one that's going to stir the drink no matter how great LeBron is. And we understand he can carry a bunch of ragamuffins to an NBA final, but to me, without Davis, you can forget about it. So that's what you have there. And speaking of players that may be returning soon, next month you may see Klay Thompson back in a Warrior uniform for the first time since Game 6 of the 2019 NBA Finals as he's recovering from that Achilles as well as the ACL injury that he suffered there in that said game. So with the Warrior team that's 25-6, and just a half game behind the Suns in the Western Conference, they're going to get back one of their key members going back to the days of Mark Jackson, the Splash Brothers, etc. So Klay Thompson could be back in the mix sometime next month. Now, as we look at the league on a whole... Pretty much, other than the Christmas Day games, which I know a lot of people are going to look forward to, and just to rehash, on the 25th, you start at 12 noon, where Atlanta is playing the Knicks, and when you looked at it from the start, that was one to say, oh, that could be juicy, that's a rematch of the first round, I believe it's their first time that they'll meet since their first round matchup in the postseason in the spring, but with Trey Young now recently entering the COVID protocol, and the Knicks being a far cry from their 5-1 and one start, That's a game where a lot of people will not tune into unless you're in the New York area or in Atlanta. 
Your next game is Boston at Milwaukee. Not as sexy. Giannis also entering the COVID protocol. Celtics can't get out of their own way. And that's a matchup where at the beginning of the year, you'd say, oh, that should be very good. Eh, right now, that's average at best. Then you have Golden State and Phoenix. Remember, they split two games to where a few weeks back where Phoenix was in the midst of that 18-game winning streak where the Warriors snapped on that Friday night, but that was after a back-to-back where Phoenix played the night before. So they're going to reacquaint themselves at 5 o'clock. That's your middle game of the day. And then you have Brooklyn at LA at 10, and then Dallas at Utah is your matchup at 10.30. So that's how the schedule rings out for your Christmas day. And then, as I mentioned, even last week, the Cleveland Cavaliers... Head by J.B. Bickerstaff. What is going on there to the tune of a six-game winning streak? Last week, I gave them their props as a team being 16-12, and 12, and now they're 19-12 and 12 in an East. And I bet you can't even name five players on the team, not Kevin Love and Colin Sexton, who's out for the year with a torn meniscus. So give it up for them as they've done yeoman's work in the East. Will it sustain? Remains to be seen. But it's pretty much... Status quo, I know the Sixers can't get out of their own way. And who knows what's going to happen there with Ben Simmons. That's kind of died down a little bit. And I would think as we get closer to the trade deadline, which is not until February, to where Simmons may be on his way out. Who knows? But I'm sure a lot of teams, they are not even thinking or probably don't even want to go near Ben Simmons, not only based on his attitude, but also when we look at what he's done on the court. Granted, yes, he's an all-world defender and he's great in the open floor, but he cannot sink a free throw or a jump shot to save his life, as we all know. But other than that, pretty much status quo there in the East and out West. Lakers, every time they take a couple steps forward, they always take two steps back. They were at three games above 500, but now with the latest losses in Minnesota, which is the site of where Anthony Davis suffered that knee sprain and then losing to Chicago yesterday, where DeMar DeRozan came back with a dominant performance in his first game back in about, I believe, two weeks. But the Lakers, they can't seem to get on track here as far as moving up the ladder in the Western Conference. But as we talked about before, the Grizzlies have done a very good job. They're kind of like the Mavs, or excuse me, the Cavs, Cavaliers of the West, a team that surprised, and that's without John Morant, which I believe he should be coming back into the lineup in the coming week or so. If not, sometime after the new year. And other than that, you know, Dallas has been disappointing. T-Wolves have played pretty well. They've improved a little, little bit. But you have Portland, San Antonio, Houston on the outside. But that's your NBA, people. Not really much. Uh, the only game I think of note when you look at the Christmas Day slate is that Golden State-Phoenix game. Brooklyn-LA, who knows what you're going to have as far as players that are going to suit up for the game. So it's going to lose a lot of luster in that primetime slot, especially going up against the NFL. <laughs> Jeez. NBA, they, they have the worst luck going. So that's what you got there in the NBA. And speaking of worst luck going, I mean, the NHL. Oof. They are right now out to sea, and they're pretty much going to be looking for a life raft because not only has COVID hit them pretty much going back about a month or so ago, But now they have numerous teams that are not going to play until after Christmas. COVID just ramping up all over the place to the degree to where you now have a scenario where 
teams cannot cross from the U.S. into Canada, which is affecting, I believe, between now and next Monday, 17 games. Or excuse me, 12 games. They've already postponed 27 games to date. So you have to ask, how is the league going to not only reschedule, but play these games? And this is in the midst of a winter Olympic break for three weeks to where they're not going to be playing for that time and the season ends in late April. What are they going to do? They're going to postpone this playoff until Memorial Day weekend? Excuse me? That's what it's looking like right now if you're in the NHL. And the only thing I could say at this moment is I'm sure they're going to do their best to look at the schedule and put back-to-backs. And I know it's going to be tough with travel, etc. And who knows? I can't even count with these 27 postponements if these are games that are in the division, if these are out-of-conference games. I I couldn't even tell you. But this is something that the NHL has right now, it's a nightmare. And with the teams that are on the shelf right now, I mean, you have six teams at the current moment that are shut down through Christmas. Six. And that's not even including teams that like Calgary that have been postponing games since the 10th of December. How do you fix it? I don't know. And you could easily say, oh, hey, Forget the Olympics. We'll have the makeup games played over the course of those three weeks. Now, I understand for the player overseas that wants to play for their country, whether you're Sweden, from Finland, obviously from Russia, those players are going to probably want to play for their respective countries. But that means it has to be uniform throughout the whole league between U.S., Canada, etc., to say, we have to scrap it and make up these games during that three-week period. If not, we're going to hoist the Stanley Cup sometime after the 4th of July. Because that's what they're looking at here. And I guess if they have to stagger the regular season in order to get all 82 games in, then so be it. But, man. Thankfully, the NBA hasn't had an issue here when it comes to that. But, I don't know what the NHL is going to do. I, I can't even suggest The only thing I could suggest is that they tell these players, don't go to the Olympics. We want to make up these games during the three-week period. That would be my suggestion. But I'm sure it has to be agreed with the players, number one. And number two, those players who are probably looking forward to performing in the Olympics, now that dream is going to die for four more years. I'm sure they don't want to give that up. Uh, Just a mess. Uh, What more can you say? Uh, there There isn't anything that you could do or even say at this point. If you're Gary Bettman and company. And the league. Right now. I mean what could you. I mean you have games that are. Need to be made up. So many teams that have games in hand. And things of that nature. It's just a mess. As I peek at the standings. It's pretty much. I'm not going to say status quo. But you had a little flip flop there in the Atlantic. Where Florida was in first place. Now you have Tampa in first. Carolina and the Capitals, as well as the Rangers, are all surrounded there uh, by one point, or separated, I should say, by one point. 43 Carolina, 43 Washington, won by the Rangers. And then the Penguins have now won seven in a row, so they're creeping up the Metropolitan Division. 
So give it up to them. Wild. Predators and Blues separated by one point in the Central. And Vegas has played well. They actually swept through the Tri-State area, beating the Devils, Rangers, and Islanders over the weekend. So they propelled themselves to first first place, overtaking Anaheim, who they were in first place as of last week when I recorded this. So give it up to them. I know Edmonton has hit some skids here. They've won their last two, but remember, they were in first place for most of the early part of the season, and now they're in fourth place, although tied with Calgary. But then again, Calgary hasn't played in the last two weeks, so we'll see. You know I'm going to keep an eye on this. We talked about the cross-border travel. That is until, I believe, early January. I don't know if a date was targeted for that, but you're not going to see any U.S. teams going into Canada as of right now. And I don't even think there's going to be a bubble scenario. They cannot do that, not in a regular season. And to do that on the fly would be next to impossible, and I'm sure the players, and rightfully so, would not agree to it. So you could pretty much forget about that idea if the NHL wants to incorporate a bubble at some point, or even a soft bubble for that matter. But no, that's not going to happen. You've already seen incidents in Canada where they've not included the fans in the building. So they're even going that route as far as stopping the spread. But we'll see, people. You know I'll be on top of this as we move along. But as we turn our attention before we get to a couple other things to say goodbye... Hallelujah, if you're a Met fan like myself, to where they finally got their man, the only guy that was in question on whether or not he should be the manager, no, it was not Joe Espada, the bench coach of the Houston Astros, no, it was not Matt Quattraro, the bench coach for the Tampa Bay Rays, who those are the guys that made the second round of interviews The one guy that they had in the second round, I get that they had to do that, but I'm sure that they knew once the second round came to a one William Nathaniel Buck Showalter, there was no way that they were going to let him out of the door without signing him to a three-year contract. Terms not disclosed. But as the owner, Steve Cohen, tweeted Saturday afternoon to say, I am glad to announce that the new Met manager is Buck Showalter. I know I breathe a big sigh of relief because we've been there with the first-time managers a la Mickey Calloway and Luis Rojas. They had to go with somebody who was going to take control of the clubhouse that was not just going to be a babysitter, that was not going to be one to coddle the players, a guy that has a resume, a guy that has been through the postseason, a guy that has rebuilt organizations, but now has to take his managerial expertise to the next level to pretty much get all of the egos in the room, Francisco Lindor, Max Scherzer, Jacob DeGrom, not that he has an ego, but obviously the team's superstars aligned with the rest of the players and obviously the team on the whole to the point where he could lead this team not only to the playoffs, but hopefully to the Holy Grail And that being late October, World Series, and finally winning a World Series to boot. That's the only thing that's missing on Showalter's resume. And this is the right team for him. Manny Machado even said it over the weekend. And Machado, he knows. He was uh, managed by Showalter those years in Baltimore. 
he said that this is probably the best thing, not only for Showalter, but for the Mets to get this guy, and I'm paraphrasing, of course. So if Manny Machado agrees, then I'm sorry. Lindor could follow suit. You figure Scherzer and DeGrom, their pitchers, they're not going to be front and center, but we all know that they're going to be, their presence alone is going to be enormous as far as where the Mets are going to go in 2022, if there is a 2022. But with that, and whatever other players that they plan to bring in once the players and owners agree, but it does make you think, is show Walter the final piece of the Met puzzle when it comes to winning a championship? The one thing I'll say is that they do need to restock that bullpen. And I get you could say that for the other 29 teams in Major League Baseball. But losing Aaron Loop was big. And what he contributed last year to the Mets, we know that they have to revamp. We get that we can't trust Edwin Diaz 100%. But as of right now, you would think he's going to be the closer of this team. But we do need another left-hander. We do need just some capable bodies. I understand Trevor May too. He's another guy who's going to be your eighth inning guy. But they still need to get some reinforcements in that bullpen. But as far as the final piece, I would say yes. Because when you look at this team on a whole, they have their catcher who's signed for three more years in James McCann. Your first baseman is Pete Alonso. Your second baseman is now going to be Eduardo Escobar. We know who your shortstop is. Your third baseman is probably going to be J.D. Davis and or Jeff McNeil, depending. I'm sure they're going to fight it out in training camp or spring training. Your left fielder is right now going to be Brandon Nimmo. Your center fielder is Starling Marte. And your right fielder is going to be Mark Canna that they brought both from Oakland. We know your rotation, headlined by DeGrom and Scherzer. I just mentioned who the back of your bullpen is. We understand you got to get some fixtures there in the bullpen. You have some... A little bit of depth there if J.D. Davis is going to be coming off the bench or even Jeff McNeil for that matter. And I'm sure there's another guy or two that I'm missing as I'm not really in baseball mode. So to me, that final piece was Showalter. Remember years ago when the Mets traded for Gary Carter, that was the final piece? Well, Showalter could be that guy. That's how important of a hire it was for the Mets and that they couldn't screw this up. And thank you, Steve Cohen. That early present under the tree is the new manager. So let's see how that goes. But again, when we look at the climate between the players and owners, now there were reports that they did speak on Thursday. A lot of it was for fringe stuff. It wasn't anything that was substantial when it comes to money, when it comes to the economics of the sport. A lot of the discussions based on the reports that I read were... Topics about scheduling, events, the drug and domestic program, nothing about any type of free agency, about the DH, playoff systems, things of that nature. So we will see. It's just a matter of time before we find out. And I think it's going to be a long time because it's not as if they're going to be in any rush to get this thing completed. So we'll have to wait and see what's going to happen with baseball And I think they probably won't reconvene until after the new year. And until then, we're going to have to wait and see how that's going to unfold. Now, I'm not going to get into the fight that you saw on Saturday night. I know Jake Paul knocked out Tyron Tyron Woodley. I get it. It was just a a knockout that you haven't seen. But for all that's worth, I'm not going to get into Jake Paul. I'm sorry. Or even Darren Williams versus Frank Gore, the former NBA player and a former NFL player. I'm just going to leave it at that. 
You could take that for what it's worth. I know Woodley's going to be a meme. I know that that was the highlight over the weekend, but I'm not going to dip my toe into those waters. I'll just leave it at that, but I just want to make a mention of it. With that said, let me get to my hero and zero of the week to wrap us up. My hero of the week goes out to former Stars goalie Ben Bishop, who unfortunately did everything he could to revive his NHL career as a goaltender. He was once a member of the Tampa Bay Lightning who went to a Stanley Cup in 2015, but because of a degenerative right knee, had to call the career, hang up his skates at the age of 35. He started his career with the Blues, also there recently with the Dallas Stars, who was part of that Stanley Cup team two years ago against the former Tampa Bay Lightning squad that he, of course, obviously played for many years ago. But Ben Bishop, I'm sorry you had to call it a career, but kudos to you for doing whatever it took. You are my hero of the week. And my zero of the week goes to former Vikings cornerback Bashad Breland, who was released on Saturday as he got into a verbal spat with coaches and teammates on the practice field that ultimately led to him getting his pink slip. Now you played 13 games this year. Your team is on the fringe of making it into the NFC playoff picture. You're, what, four games away from the end of the season and now you're going to cause a stir to your teammates, coaches, etc. And then just, that's it, goodbye. Bad look, my guy. I understand that for one year, $3 million, the Vikings said, let's just cut bait. But certainly not a good way to end off your season because I'm sure, who knows, unless somebody's desperate to pick him up, Maybe we'll see him on an NFL field at some point. But as of right now, Rashad Breeland, you are my zero of the week. And that'll do it. Episode 229 almost in the books. But you know, for some quick housekeeping, I appreciate each and every one of you guys and gals for listening to what it is I have to say about the world of sports. As I said at the top, and I'll say right now, please subscribe, rate, review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. It's just going to increase the visibility with all the other podcasts that are out there. And as you all know, this is a one-man operation. I do not have a team, production assistants, etc., to assist me in building this that much further. But you know I'm doing my best to not only produce a top-notch quality podcast, but then bring it out to the masses so that everybody can listen and everybody could sink their teeth into when it comes to what it is I have to say. So please do that. I would greatly appreciate it. Throw me a few stars, write a review. On top of that, if you want to Hit me up on any of my social media accounts, whether it's on Instagram at JReels or the JReels Podcast, on Twitter, JReels1, just the number, or on Facebook, the Facebook fan page, which is the JReels Podcast. Please hit me up with any questions, comments, criticism, or praise. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you, including the JReels Podcast at gmail.com. Lastly, if you want to contribute to the podcast, you could do so at www.patreon.com. Slash the J Reels Podcast. That's B as in Paul, A T as in Tom, R E O N as in Nancy. Anything you want to put forth, I would greatly appreciate it because it goes directly to the production of this podcast, to the website, the upkeep, the equipment. Because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to talk about, people. It's in the blood, it's in the DNA since birth. Sports has been my life. Sports has been an embodiment of what it is that I love as far as my passion, as far as my fire. And if you can't hear it in my voice now, then you're not paying attention because everything that I love to discuss, my thoughts, opinions, analysis on the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, octagon, boxing ring, you name it, from my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, Merry Christmas. Have a happy holiday season, everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.